Please open your Bibles with me to Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. This is the word of the Lord. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lowest regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Well, most of you know that I love baseball. Played baseball as a kid, grew up playing baseball, played through college. And while I love baseball, I actually think football is the ultimate team sport. And I say that because you think of football, and I can't think of another sport where you have 11 different guys that are so remarkably different, and yet they're all needed to accomplish their goal. Even the skinny little kicker, right? Lots of football games have been won and lost off the foot of the little kicker. But just, just think for a minute about the offensive side of the ball, right? Everybody, when you think of football and you think of offense, you think of the quarterback, and for good reason. The quarterback is vital to any good football team, and the quarterback has a very unique skill set. Uh, this guy has got to be able to throw the football and throw it well. He's the one that's going to distribute the ball to other playmakers so that they can make big plays. And so he's got to be able to throw. He, he, he's got to be a good decision maker. There's a reason that when they go into the NFL draft, they do all sorts of cognitive tests on these guys. They've got to be a good decision maker, and it does help in modern football that they can run a little bit. But let me tell you, you could have the best quarterback in the league, and if you don't have a good offensive lineman, he, he, he's hammered, right? You've got this six-foot-six defensive end coming around the corner, running like a freight train, hitting him over and over again. I don't care how good he is, he's not going to make it through the rest of the game. See, in, in, in football, on the offensive side of the ball, you've got to have a good offensive line. And so now think about these guys. Completely different gifting, if I can use that kind of language. These guys, what you're looking for is size, size and strength. These guys in today's football are like six foot six, 320 pounds and above. 
strong as an ox and yet still quick on their feet, able to keep people off of the quarterback. And then you've got skill position guys, and they're not all the same. You've got a running back who tends to be a little bit lower to the ground, right? Then your receivers who tend to be a little bit taller. You've got the running back who's got to be durable. Yeah, he's fast, but boy, he's thick because he's going to be taking a lot of hits, and your receivers might be a little bit taller and lankier. Now, why, why do I go into all of this? What, what's my point? We're obviously not here today to talk about football. But my point is, I think a football team, while, while no picture is perfect, I think a football team is a fair resemblance of the body of Christ in that, in that it's a good picture of a group of people with a diversity of gifts that all must work together, you could say be unified, for the sake of the team. It's a good picture of diversity within unity. I mean, if you had a whole football team of quarterbacks, it would be a joke, wouldn't it? Have you ever seen a quarterback try to tackle a linebacker when he intercepts a pass? It's ridiculous. If you had a whole football team of offensive linemen, it'd be fun to watch, I think. I'd love to see some of the plays those guys come up with. But it'd be a terrible football team, right? You need all of these individuals with their diverse gifts coming together for the common purpose, which in football is to win ball games and make it to the ultimate prize. Likewise, in the body of Christ, you have a very diverse group of people bringing together a very diverse group of gifts, all for the common purpose that is in the church, the building up of the body the unity of the body as we press on toward our ultimate prize, which is far greater than any Super Bowl or national championship or whatever. This morning, we come to a portion of Ephesians 4 that speaks of a diversity of gifts for the purpose of unity. And we're going to do something a little bit different here as this text introduces a topic that I think is very misunderstood in the church today. And so, I want to lean in on this, as I think this will help us to set a good foundation for next week when we're going to come back and really dig into the exegesis of Ephesians 4. Today, I'm actually going to use Ephesians 4 as a launching pad to a broader study on spiritual gifts. I want to think together about what they are, and by that, little expectations management. We're not going to look at each gift and try to talk about what each one is. That could be like a 12-week series. We don't have time for that, but we want to think about what is the nature of spiritual gifts, and then why do we have them? And then next week, we'll come back, really focus in on what's going on in Ephesians 4. So today, Start at Ephesians 4 as a launching pad, and then bring in some other text. So turn to Ephesians 4 with me if you're not already there. Turn to Ephesians 4, and we're going to start by thinking about the question, what are spiritual gifts? What are spiritual gifts? Ephesians 4, starting in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when He ascended on high, He led host, a host of captives, and He gave gifts to men. 
In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. And I'm going to stop there for now. Now, these first verses in this section of Ephesians, right, verses 7 through 10, can, can be a little bit confusing at first pass with all this talk of ascending and descending and all of that. But, but, but if, you, if you pull back a bit, it, it's honestly fairly straightforward. You know, Paul is using Psalm 68, which, which that psalm pictures the triumphant Lord God who has defeated all of his enemies, and, and, and he has with him then, like any good king of the ancient world, all of the spoils of his victory. And, and so, this psalm interpreted through the lenses of Jesus, which is always how Paul and the other New Testament writers are looking at the Old Testament, how Jesus fulfilled this. And so, this psalm looked at how, and how Jesus fulfills it. He's saying that through Jesus' incarnation, that's his descending, and through his resurrection and exaltation, that's the ascending, Jesus is, in fact, the conquering triumphant Lord who has defeated all of his enemies. That's Satan and his minions. You can look at Colossians 2. And in and through all of that, like any good conquering king, he's got with him all the spoils of his victory, and he gives out gifts to his people. And so here, I want you to notice that the grace spoken of in verse 7, the grace that was given to each is not saving grace here. No, no, that's already been celebrated back in chapter 2, and we spent a lot of time digging into that, and it was good and wonderful and glorious, but this is different. Here he's referring to the grace given so as to serve Christ, serve the body. So, So this we might call serving grace, and we've already seen Paul do this kind of thing. Right? In chapter 3, verse 2, in chapter 3, verse 7, he says things like, here's verse 2, assuming you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Or in chapter 3, verse 7, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of His power. So too, here in chapter 4, Paul is speaking of a grace, a a serving grace that's given to each believer. Uh, Notice the wording in verse 7. Grace was given to each one of us. Grace, serving grace, what he's talking about, is given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And, And so, let's be clear, there is no believer no believer who doesn't have what Paul is talking about in verse 7. And next week, we're going to see how, in in chapter 4, how he goes on to focus on specific gifted leaders and and, and how their call is to equip the gifted saints so, 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 so that the gifted saints do the work of ministry, and together, the body is built up and unified. We're going to really come back and dig into that idea next week. But today, I want to continue camping out a bit on this gifting of individual believers because 
the way we often hear this taught on in our context, I'm afraid would mess up our understanding of Ephesians 4. And the reason I say that is the way we often hear spiritual gifts spoken of, it's often very American if you just want to know the honest truth, right? We often speak of spiritual gifts and we lose the corporate aspect. It's all about the individual. You can read some spiritual gifts books. It's all for our personal fulfillment. If I really want to be fulfilled personally, I need to know what my gifts are and operate within my gifts. Otherwise, I don't get the fulfillment that I need. And in that kind of teaching, you don't see that the consistent emphasis in the New Testament is that these gifts are for the body, that we're gifted for unity, which again, we'll dig into next week as we pull it all together. Right now, we're going to launch, okay? I told you I was going to use this text as a launching pad, so now we're going to go broader. We've already seen that whatever Paul's talking about here in Ephesians 4 is referred to as grace and a gift, and I want to compare that to 1 Corinthians 12. So, turn over there with me, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 11, 1 Corinthians 12. Verses 1 through 11. He says, Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in or by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts. Watch the Trinity here. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. That's the Lord Jesus. There are varieties of activities, but the same God. That's God the Father who empowers them all in everyone. To each, just like Ephesians 4, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Why? For the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. So, here again, we see the gift language. Whatever this is talking about, these spiritual gifts, we see the gift language. In in Ephesians, interestingly, right, we were told that, that Christ is the one who gave us these gifts, right? This ascending and descending and a victorious King and Lord, and, 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 and He gives gifts to His people. Here we're told it's the Holy Spirit who gives gifts, 
And let me just say, this shouldn't surprise us or cause us any concern, given that we're talking about two of the three persons of the Godhead. We've already seen in this passage the, the Trinitarian nature of it, right? And, and, and at times, as you're reading the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is even referred to as the Spirit of Christ, given the profound reality that within the inner workings of our triune God, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit's work is at times so intimately related that if someone asks, for example, so does Jesus give us spiritual gifts or does the Holy Spirit? The correct answer is yes. Okay? The emphasis here so far, the emphasis in 1 Corinthians 12, is the gracious character of these gifts. Now, we all know that a gift is something that we receive not because we earned it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a gift. So, for example, if your boss was to come to you at the end of the work week or the end of the month, however it is you get paid, and he's got a nice little box for you, right? It's wrapped. It's beautiful. It's got a, it's got a red bow on it. At first, you're going to say, oh, that, that's really nice of you, a gift for me. And, and you're going to take that and probably be pretty excited, and you're going to unwrap it, and then you're going to be very disappointed when you look inside and you see your paycheck. Right? It's like, thanks for nothing. That's not a gift. I earned every penny of that, right? A gift is something you didn't earn. It's something given to you by someone who wants to bless you. And that's the nature of spiritual gifts. We can't earn them. They are given to us by God. We also don't want to miss the fact that these gifts are given by God and such, and as such, we must think about these as supernatural. These are supernatural. Look, look, look back at the passage starting in verse 4. I'm going to read this with a little different emphasis. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the effecting of miracles, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of the tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He Wills. The, the redundant references to the Spirit are striking in this passage. I think the reader might even say they're cumbersomely striking. For, for Paul wants to go out of his way to make it clear that these gifts are supernatural. They are from God, which therefore allows not even a hint of boasting on the part of the person who receives the gift. And what's more, and this is very important, this drives home the reality that some of the behind-the-scenes giftings are just as supernatural as any other gifts in the sense that they are given and animated by the Holy Spirit and that any good effect that comes from those in the church is directly a gift from God. And this is important. Service, for example, is just as supernatural 
as, say, teaching. Finally, we mustn't miss the fact that the gifts are attributed to the sovereignty of God, right? We're always clear that our salvation is of the sovereignty of God. God sovereignly chooses, right? We saw that in Ephesians 1. Well, well, don't miss here that God is equally as sovereign in distributing gifts to particular people. So he says in verse 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as I want. Nope. Just as He wills. So it's clear when we think about the nature of the gifts, we can say they're given and not earned. We must say they're supernatural. And we need to be clear that it's God who chooses, not us. It's God who chooses who gets what gift. And not only is it important for us to understand the nature of the gifts, but it is absolutely vital that we get our minds around what the biblical writers put forward for us consistently as the purpose of these gifts, which if you pour over each of these texts, you see that there's a key component in each one of them that really is the main emphasis. So let's consider together why are Christians graciously given supernatural gifts of the Spirit. And here I want to do a quick survey of all four of the key texts that speak of the gifts of the Spirit in order to demonstrate that there is one clear, consistent description of the purpose of these gifts. So let's start by going back to Ephesians 4. And by the way, the four texts, right? You can think of 4, 4, 12, 12. Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12. 4, 4, 12, 12. Start with Ephesians chapter 4, thinking about the purpose of the gifts. Flip back over there. Here, I want to start by refreshing our memory on the context that we studied last week. Very important because the section on gifts flows right from that. Last week in verse 1, Paul exhorted us to walk, to live, right, in a manner worthy of our calling. And, and, and when we covered that, we said that's the category heading over the rest of the book of Ephesians. What, what, what's striking is as he's going to fill out what that looks like, the very first thing he pointed to is walking in a manner worthy of our call is working hard to protect, to, to guard the unity that we've been brought into, the unity that was already there, we said, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. In other words, part and parcel of walking in a manner worthy of our calling includes working hard to protect unity. It's, it's in that context that you get into the section that we're looking at here where we see that Paul is going to go on and speak of gifted leaders, saying, quote, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, look why, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, that's unity of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So, so it's clear that the stated purpose in Ephesians 4 
of the supernatural giftings is tied to the unity of the faith. And again, we'll really unpack that next week, but for now, just make sure you see that connection. We are gifted for unity, okay? Go to Romans 12. Flip over to Romans 12 with me. Romans 12. The focal point is verses 6 through 8, but before we look specifically at verses 6 through 8, I want you to notice the context in this passage as well. In verse 3, Paul tells us, don't think too highly of yourself. In other words, he's going after disunity, right? If we're not walking around thinking too highly of ourselves and are actually putting others first, then we're going to be more unified. Moreover, in verses 4 through 5, he uses a body metaphor, which is always all about unity. Anytime you see that metaphor, that's about unity, right? The whole point is there's a variety of different parts, right? The arm is obviously different than the, than the big toe, but, but all the parts of the body are vital. They're all essential. That, that's what he's going after. The body needs these parts to, to, to function properly. That leads right into verses 6 through 8, where he says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, again, there's all sorts of overlap in each of these passage, passages, each one of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the portion of his faith, if, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Then in verses 9 through 10, so immediately following that, it's, it's clear the context is still unity, as you see Paul telling us to let love be genuine, be devoted. Here's the command, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Use these gifts in brotherly love. He says, outdo one another. Think about how all this is working together. Outdo one another in showing honor. So again, it's clear the gifts listed in Romans 12 are in the context of the body, the good of the body, the teaching on, on, on unity, right? We are diverse for the sake of unity. We have gifts that differ, but each for the purpose of building up the whole not building up the individual. How about 1 Peter 4? Flip over to 1 Peter 4 with me, starting in verse 8. He says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one of you has received a special gift, employ it, in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So here some gifts are listed, right? Speaking, serving, hospitality, and they're all given in the context of the exhortation to keep fervent in love for one another. And believers are strongly exhorted to employ their gifts in serving one another so that God will be glorified. So again, the purpose of the gifts is the body, right? It's, it's to build up the body. 
The, the, the purpose is, is to serve one another, for, for the diversity to work for the unity that we should have. Finally, go back to 1 Corinthians, and I do want you to see in 1 Corinthians that Paul actually spends three chapters on this topic. Lots of times it's only looked at as chapter 12, but that's not the case. What's more, not only does he spend chapters 12, 13, and 14 on this topic, it's important that you see that even before you get to those three chapters, Paul's been addressing numerous issues of disunity as the issue among the Corinthians was disunity, and so he's been going very hard after that all the way through. The majority of commentators would agree that the divisions in the Corinthian church had made their way into the realm of spiritual gifts. Uh, Context would indicate that there were people within the church who were really focused on the gift of tongues, sort of flaunting them over other people as though this was somehow special. And, and, And to counteract that, Paul goes hard after them demonstrating that the edification and unity of the body is the very purpose these gifts were given in the first place. This is why by the time you get to the end of chapter 14, Paul's so clear that prophecy is to be preferred over tongues. So look at these chapters with me. I'm going to breeze through but just hit some of the high points. So starting in, in chapter 12, verse 1, he begins by telling them, I don't want you to be ignorant about this. This is something that y'all are all arguing about, it would seem, in in the Corinthian church, and I don't want you to be ignorant about it. So then he gets into the teaching. Verses 4 through 6, the emphasis of unity comes through immediately as he pulls forth the Trinity as an example in verses 4 through 6. I pointed this out earlier. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, Holy Spirit. Varieties of ministries, but the same Lord, the Lord Jesus Varieties of effects, but the same God, that's God the Father, who works all things and all persons. And of course, we know the Trinity is the quintessential example of unity within diversity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, each having different roles, and yet from eternity past, have enjoyed this glorious unity. Verse 7, the purpose of unity is clearly stated, to each person is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the purpose of the common good. So, the gifts are given, stated by Paul, for the common good, for the body. And then he goes in verses, 11 through, in verses 8 through 11, a discussion on the individual gifts. And then in, in verses 12 through 27, right into the body illustration, right? Just like, just like Romans 12, where, where again, you've got the diversity for the sake of the, the whole. And then, chapter 12, verse 31, transition verse, right into chapter 13, demonstrates how clear this point is. The very fact, listen close, the very fact that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is sandwiched in between chapter 12 and chapter 14, drive this point home. This passage I know it's on a lot of your memorabilia from your wedding in in our house as Christians because that's what we do, but 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is far more than a marriage passage. It's a passage about spiritual gifts. It's a passage about unity of the body. Chapter 13 is not tangential to the overall argument Paul's making in chapters 12 through 14. In fact, I think you have to say it's the very centerpiece. The gifts are nothing if they're not used in love. They are nothing 
if they're not used for the good of the body. Paul goes on in chapter 14, verse 1. He begins with the imperative, pursue love. That's the command. He says, pursue love and yet. And what follows after the yet is all subordinated to pursue love. Pursue love is the command. And under the banner of pursuing love, he says, seek spiritual gifts. And then in verse 2 and following, Paul goes on to demonstrate how uninterpreted tongues are inferior to prophecy. Why? Because the very purpose of the gifts, the building up of the body, right? Uninterpreted tongues, he says, edify no one, whereas prophecy edifies the body. Interpreted tongues, on the other hand, are demonstrated as equivalent to prophecy because, he says, they build up the body. So, it's clear that like the rest of our passages on spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 are all about the idea that these gifts were given for the purpose, edification, unity of the body. So, what's the point? Why, why are we investing here? Why this walkthrough of each of these passages that speak on spiritual gifts? Well, it's for this purpose. If you get nothing else out of this entire sermon, please don't miss the fact that the Bible is consistent and clear when it comes to the purpose of spiritual gifts. And their purpose is the good of the body, the edification and unity of the body, which is why all of this matters to us sitting here this morning. Every single believer we see in Scripture has been gifted by the Holy Spirit for the very purpose of building up the person sitting next to you. Look around the room for a second. I know you hate it when pastors do stuff like that, but go ahead, look around the room. Just just look. They are why you're gifted. They are why you're gifted. And that has huge implications. Might get some emails from this, but nowhere does the Bible, not that I can find, you might be able to find it and help me out here, but nowhere does the Bible say that we are gifted for our own personal fulfillment. Just telling you. And yet it seems that that is the predominant teaching in the American church. Take this spiritual gifts test, find your gift, do that, and you're going to be one happy camper. Right? Listen, I'm not negating the fact that there's no fulfillment in that. There's certainly fulfillment, I think you make the argument broadly, in doing what God's called us to do, but I think you can make that argument in operating outside of your gifts, right? There is a gift of evangelism, but all of us are called to be evangelists, right? Uh, And there's fulfillment that happens when we're doing what God's called us to do. When I evangelize somebody, even though I personally don't think I have the gift of evangelism, when I engage there, there's a satisfaction, absolutely. Giving, I don't think I am personally blessed with the gift of giving, but, but there's a satisfaction, there's a joy, right? I mean, we can say that with, with all of that. But the point here is that we've each been gifted for the purpose. If you want to get on what Scripture's clear on, it's for the purpose of building one another up. We've been gifted individually for the good of the whole church. We've been gifted with spiritual gifts for the edification and unity of the body. And this is important 
that we're clear on this because while there are certainly some debated issues in the realm of spiritual gifts, I know I hit on some stuff and you're like, ooh, lean in on that. Well, maybe another time. There's some debated stuff on spiritual gifts, but this ain't one of them, okay? The gifts are for the purpose of building up the body, which is the main point. Under the banner of pursuing love, Paul says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, and the reason is because it is loving. So, as we see that using our spiritual gifts is one way we can love one another and seek to build the body, then with Paul, I would want to urge us this morning, like he says in 1 Corinthians 14, pursue love. And part of that Part of pursuing loving one another is using your gifts for the good of the body. Let us be like that football team, as weak or great as that analogy was in your mind. Let, let us be like that football team with the diversity of, of players all working together for the common good, the common goal. If you don't know what your gifts are, let me encourage you to lean in on that a bit. Now take, some, take some time here. Again, I listed the passages, 4, 4, 12, 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. Read those texts, pour over them, think about that, right? Get alone with God, maybe ask the Lord to reveal those to you. But listen, our understanding of the purpose of these gifts, I think is helpful even to your discerning of what gifts you have, right? You might ask yourself this question, what is it that I bring to the table, obviously through the Lord's gifting, because we said these are supernatural. What is it that I bring to the table that serves to build up and strengthen the church, that serves to build up unity? And then you'll be on the scent of your spiritual gifts. What is it I bring to the table that God's given me that serves to build up the body, that serves to be a blessing to the unity in the local church that God's called me to be in. And that being said, I do want to encourage you, don't get paralyzed on what is my spiritual gift. I think sometimes there's some navel-gazing. I already alluded to tests. And by the way, I'm just, I'll put it out there again. I'm not a proponent of tests. I've taken a hundred of them. I can manipulate them every which way to Sunday. I can. I can get it to say that I have the spiritual gift of helps. I can get it to say that I've got the spiritual gift of giving. You just can, right? There's a reason, I'm just being frank here, there's a reason seminaries are full of guys who don't go on to pastor who say that they have the gift of teaching and leadership and that nobody wants to listen to their teaching and nobody follows their lead because they took a spiritual gift test somewhere and it said that they had it, but, you know, sorry, it didn't work out that way. Here's a better way forward. Engage. Engage. Serve your local church. Serve fervently. Serve often. Serve in a number of different realms within the church. And then ask other more mature believers, what giftings do you see that I have? Do you know why when Paul and Barnabas were being sent out from the church at Antioch that they laid hands on those brothers? They weren't like, okay, just wait, watch this. When our hands hit your shoulders or head, whatever it is they hit, shazam, whoo, all of a sudden they got the gifts, whatever they needed. No, read before that. They were all teaching in the church. They were saying, we affirm these gifts that were already there. 
We affirm them. It's one of the reasons it's so important. We have a pastoral internship because we want to help people discern their gifts, right? Certainly a gift of teaching and, and, and perhaps leading a church. And so, serve. Serve faithfully. Serve in a wide variety of ways and, and ask others, what are areas that you see that I'm gifted? And my guess would be you'll be getting pretty, pretty close to that. The last point is just flows right from that. As you are clear on your spiritual gifts, engage, use them, serve faithfully, seek to build up the body of Christ and how God's wired you. Seek to promote unity within the body by the gifting God's given you. Here's another caveat. I already alluded to this one. But we don't just serve in our area of gifting. That, that, that would be back to that sort of me focus. Because again, I'm here to tell you, I know within a shadow of a doubt that I am called to give sacrificially to this church. I, I am. There's no getting around it. All I have to do is read the New Testament, and I'm crystal clear I'm called to give financially, sacrificially to this church, and I don't think I have the spiritual gift of giving, right? I have neighbors that are lost, that are on a freight train toward hell, and I need to share the gospel with them. And I don't think I have the gift of evangelism. So again, yes, recognize your gift and use that for the building up of the body. But as Christians, we're willing to serve in whatever ways are needed because, and this is the final import here, it's all bigger than us, right? If we just have clarity on that, that's so helpful. It is all bigger than us. It is all, we are here to glorify God. God has ordained that we gather in local churches. This is the local expression of Christ's bride. And our desire as Christians should be, we want to serve her well in whatever possible way we can. And in differing times, it's going to be differing ways, but we just, we just want to be faithful to Christ. So let's pray to that end. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you again that, Lord, you don't leave us guessing about who you are. You don't leave us guessing about what we're to believe. You don't leave us guessing about what we're to do. You've, you've revealed yourself to us through your holy and inspired word. And I pray that you would empower us to live in light of it. Empower us to live our lives for your glory. Empower us to think, even as we're going to sing about the gospel, empower us to think about the gospel and live our lives out of the overflow of who you are and what you've done. And do it all for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.